I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. The pharmaceutical industry has long argued that high drug prices are necessary to incentivize investment in and fund high-risk research and development of innovative new therapies. In a working paper published by the Institute for New Economic Thinking, William Lozanik, professor of economics at the University of Massachusetts Lowell, and his colleagues challenged the industry's premise. They argue that top pharmaceutical companies spend more of their profits on buying back their shares to boost their stock prices than they do on R&D, a move that enriches senior executives. We spoke to Lazonic about the paper, why he believes the so-called financialized business model is counterproductive to innovation, and what steps he thinks are necessary to change the landscape. Bill, thanks for joining us. Thanks. Good to talk to you. We're going to talk about a new working paper you co-authored that argues large biopharmaceutical companies focus on maximizing shareholder value is hurting innovation and that perverse incentives to executives over how they're compensated is driving that. Uh, drug development is long and costly and, and fraught with risk, but the industry has long argued that high drug prices are necessary to allow for investment in the development of new innovative therapeutics. You argue, though, that high drug prices undermine medical innovation. C- can you explain? Uh, yeah. There is no doubt that uh, if you're going to run uh, pharmaceutical development and uh, as a uh, as a business there is a question of whether it should be run as a regular business but let's assume that you are going to run this business but you're going to need uh, to have some profits um, and the function of profits is to reinvest them in the process of developing those drugs and distributing those drugs and uh, getting the product that are out there to the people who need it now um, the drug industry has uh, in the United States, has long argued that, as you mentioned, that uh, they need to have unregulated drug prices in order uh, to have the profits and to make all this uncertain investment uh, over a very long period of time uh, to generate innovative new drugs that can work them to people who need them. And uh, this, despite the fact that uh, virtually every other country in the world uh, regulates drug prices, uh, regu- recognizing that uh, uh, the drugs that people are using, the medicines that people are using, are necessities. They're not things they want to buy; they have to buy them, and that they need to be able to afford them, or at least they need to have uh, insurance coverage uh, that uh, uh, can afford to pay for them. And I think it goes along with the same. Uh, uh, logic that in, in every other country, uh, you have some kind of, like that country at least, you have some kind of uh, single-payer uh, health insurance uh, that is uh, dealing uh, with the cost of health care and, uh, and looks at drugs prices and says we have to regulate them. In the United States, we have neither. 
And so I think the two can go hand in hand. Uh, one is saying, okay, uh, up there, it's not necessarily a right, it's not necessarily a necessity, uh, it's something that people can afford because they can afford it. Of course, we've been trying to deal with that issue in various ways in the United States. Uh, and, uh, and drug prices are something that, uh, businesses produce and they need to make a profit. And they need to make a profit not just because there are some people, uh, um, invested in the company, but because they have to reinvest, uh, the profits, uh, in, uh, the company and that's the same with case in drug development. And I think those are, are valid again if, if, if drug development is a business. You, you examined yeah. 18 drug companies in the S&P 500 index in right. January 2016 and looked at a 10 year period. What, what did you find? Okay. So here's the problem, uh, that uh, this, this argument has been going on uh, with Congress uh, since the 80s, at least, um, when ever there's been an attempt to say, oh, drug prices too high, we should keep them lower, regulate them, particularly since we give the drug companies patents, etc. Uh, and and uh, what has not been noticed, and this is something that began uh, in the mid-1980s, is this why the companies are using the profits. They're not using them in general uh, to invest in new drug development. They're using high profits to prop up the stock prices. Uh, and they're doing that both through paying large dividends to shareholders and uh, doing stock buybacks, which is uh, something that I've written a lot about. It's pervasive across every industry in the United States, particularly among large companies like the pharmaceutical companies. But that's how they have been using their profits. And so uh, when I look at these discussions that are going on or attempts at regulation, I'm waiting for the next question to be asked by uh, whoever is asking the questions uh, for decades if he's now retired in Congress with Henry Waxman from California who was asked the question. Uh, well, why are you spending almost all your profits, even more of your profits sometimes, on distribution to shareholders if you're saying that we need high drug prices to reinvest uh, in, in drug development to accelerate uh, investment in drug development. Unfortunately, that question has never been asked. And so our paper asked that question. Our paper points out that we should be asking that question. And uh, unless the uh, pharmaceutical industry has an answer to that question, to say either stop them from doing these distributions to shareholders, I argue in general that we should ban stock buybacks of this type, uh, and over uh, regulated prices. We should be with those things. Well, put, in, put uh, that into perspective, though. Uh, to what extent are companies taking their profits and investing in R&D versus share buybacks or uh, di paying dividends to stockholders? Well, there's plenty of investment in R&D, and uh, it's not that they don't invest in R&D. There is, however, a lot of evidence that the R&D is not very productive. And I think part of the reason it isn't productive is because the people who are running those companies are not dedicated to making it productive. So it's not hard for a company to show that they've had high R&D expenses. In fact, I would say if a company like Merck or Pfizer, who are among the worst in terms of this, what I call the financialization of these companies, spending over the last few decades, 100% of the profits buying back the stock of paying dividends, if they didn't show R&D, uh, Traders on the stock market will say, oh, well, they're not really a drug company. Uh, they're not going to have anything down the line to, to show for this. 
So what they do, they do both spend a lot of on R&D and they do all the distribution to shareholders. But my argument is that where they do that, the distribution to shareholders, it actually undermines that R&D investment. Uh, it's not investing in the type of R&D that's generating new drugs. It's not committing the money that the company has, not to something called R&D, but to teams of scientists who are going to develop the drug. Uh, and in fact, often uh, what they're doing is charging high drug prices just to get the stock price up. They, they, in fact, in many drugs, charge lower drug prices. They could get a larger market. Uh, the cost of actually expanding, scaling up in, this, in, in producing the drugs is often not very high, if any, it's often minimal. And to be making perfectly good profits over time, uh, but they're not doing that. So in fact, what they're often trying to do is get the, the, the prices up as, as much as possible, help boost the stock prices more, uh, with, with buybacks and dividends. And that's what the way, uh, not only, uh, are these top executives, uh, uh, acting, uh, that's the way they're paid to act. <laughs> And that's the way they're expected to act by people who hold shares. And unfortunately, the people who hold shares for companies are seen to people who, for whom these companies should be run. And that's a whole other discussion because it shouldn't be run. Not, not necessarily drug companies, but a real company in which, uh, that's publicly with on the stock market should be run for their shareholders. Shareholders are just people who buy and sell shares. Not, not to be overly simplistic, but what is the effect of a share buyback and, and what is the impact of share buybacks on executive compensation? Well, okay, so first of all, it means that we're paying uh, uh, high drug prices uh, when the company's saying they need them, but that they're not using those high drug prices to spend them, uh, 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 more research and development. They're using it to cough up the stock price. That's the first problem. The second problem is that the executives, uh, which we show in this paper as well, uh, that's what they're rewarded for. So, uh, first of all, the uh, they're making tens of millions of dollars in compensation to top executives. Uh, 80 to 90 percent of that, and particularly the higher it goes, the more the case is stock-based case. Uh, they're getting rewarded for getting the stock price up. And that also means that, uh, they're not likely to be executives. They're even very good at overseeing a, a process of drug development. Uh, they're good at overseeing a company that can figure out how to do financial engineering and get a stock price up. And often in those companies, uh, when uh, it comes to employing teams of uh, scientists to develop the drug, uh, they're just as often willing to write people off to uh, try to uh, depress their, their pay, uh, rather than to say, hey, that's what the company is all about, is, is is having these people who, 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 who can develop drugs. And the outcome of that are the customers, uh, the people who need medicines who, who want to deliver a high quality drug at low prices. They're just not running companies that way. And actually, if they were running that companies that way, we could say that they're innovative. Uh, that to be developing a high quality product, the low cost to, uh, to be passed on to the customer. That's what an innovative company does. And uh, these drug companies are just the opposite of being innovative. They're, they're financialized. They're, they're uh, run to basically uh, make money for shareholders who don't really matter in any case. And the big primary beneficiaries, at least on the first line of this, are the top executives who just separate them, themselves out in terms of their own faith 
from the success of the company as a whole. So often when the company isn't uh, successful, they do well. The other part of this process, particularly with a company like Merck and Pfizer, is that a lot of the drugs that they sell are not drugs that they develop themselves. They might not show R&D on their books, but the drugs that they acquired from other companies that uh, have been innovated and that have not money or patents on the drugs. And so then they buy these drugs, particularly when they've been uh, seen as blockbuster drugs. They use their high stock prices often to use it as a currency to acquire the other company. And then they melt those patents dry. And uh, over time, they become less capable of actually running innovative organizations. Uh, and so uh, companies like Pfizer and Merck, again, are the companies we looked at most and of the older companies, they are uh, basically, in my view, have lost the capacity to generate a new drugs on their own. Uh, so they're always looking out there and saying, what is out there that we can buy that we can not drive? Um, in addition, there are some newer companies, and the most well-known among them is Gilead Sciences, which were started in uh, the late 1980s, early 1990s, uh, because it was clear that a new drug company could quickly get listed on the NASDAQ stock exchange. You can make money uh, from that company even no drug is produced. And they've been financialized right from the beginning. Whereas you look at Merck and Pfizer, they go back 100 years or so or more. And they're often innovative companies at one point. Gilead uh, uh, Science is a company that is just there to make money out of getting hold of drugs that uh, 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 the people need. And when they can do this, they will get the stock about that. The product price up as high as possible, that will be the stock price as high as possible, and uh, the, the senior executives will cash in. And this has happened really uh, in an extreme case over the last few years with uh, a type of speed drug that uh, we have only uh, drugs that uh, they've been able to gouge uh, the, the public basically on the drugs that they had very little to do with development. They basically got the drug from another company and then commercialized it. And uh, the top executive in this case, um, I mean, Martin, who is uh, retired last year, but is still raking in money as, as chairman of the company, uh, in uh, 2014-2015 alone, uh, because of all the profits they were bringing in from these this blockbuster drug and all that, that had very high prices, uh, his uh, take-home pay was uh, uh, $400 million. Um, and uh, you know, that's what he got for basically acquiring a drug that people need and, and, and gouging the public. And, uh, you know, they also did uh, about 15 million, billion in buybacks, which uh, made them one of the biggest repurchasers over those years among all companies. And uh, that's, that's, it's not just the way they operate, that, that is why they operate. And that is what those executives know when they operate. That is, and, and so they even try to justify that they're doing in those terms, that we have to create value for shareholders. So if you look at who the shareholders were, they're just people who buy and sell shares. Uh, they're not people who are actually putting money to risk in the company. Uh, uh, the people who are putting, putting in the risk of the company are us as taxpayers, uh, because we uh, fund the National Institute of Health at a, at a rate of about 30 to 32 billion a year, which is twice in real terms what it was in the, in the mid-90s. 
the company's getting damage of that, and then people, and countless numbers of people who actually work on drug development, they're not there at the end when it's been on the market to grab all this money. So we need a whole different system of way we govern these kind of companies uh, because they're just being run as money machines for a few people to talk. So, without getting into a, a defense of, of Gilead's pricing, the, their drugs are a cure for hepatitis C, and the pricing, as I understand it, was relative to what was already on the market. Is, is there a different paradigm that needs to be set for pricing? Sure. Sure. I mean, first of all, if you recognize all the countless numbers of people who contribute uh, to drug development before it becomes a commercial product, you say, okay, uh, we got to spread the rest of the people, that is, the people who actually develop the drug, which is not these people who are raking in all this money, I can guarantee you. Uh, they're usually people who have a lot of legal backgrounds, commercial backgrounds. Uh, secondly, uh, the, uh, as I say, the taxpayer is, is, is one of, is, is, is doing this. Um, and thirdly, uh, the drugs are things that, uh, for a product that people need. And uh, there's nothing uh, that says that a, a business has to make as much profit as you can. I know most economists say that, but I think that is that, that is nonsense. Uh, particularly where you have a, a product that uh, is a necessity, uh, and we have a long history in the United States, even of regulating utilities when uh, you have one utility that's needed in. In, in one area, in, 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 in the drug industry, we, we patent the drugs, we give them patents, they, you know, the patents don't fall from the sky, we give the patents to these companies, and then we should regulate the drugs and make sure that they get out to as many people as possible at the lowest possible price. The companies will still make a decent profit, uh, and, and they should have to justify that profit. And to say that that profit is because they have to attract capital and make money for shareholders, this is nonsense if you look at where the, where, where the financing comes from. The financing comes from, in fact, people helping the company develop drugs, then making some profits, then putting in drug development. It comes from government subsidies, uh, or taxes. Um, there's, there's a whole, I mean, this goes way beyond the drug company, but the whole myth of the shareholder as an investor in the United States. It's just nonsense. You know, you know I can buy shares on the market. You do not invest what I owe in the company. When we buy shares, we're just using our savings to try to get a return, and that return has to be constrained. Uh, or we're going to well, we already are destroying the economy for not the same. That's just to do with drug development. So, in drug development and pharmaceutical industry, we have a particular problem of shareholder value. You argue the U.S. pharma business model is broken, and you make a series of policy recommendations to, to move the pharmaceutical industry away from yeah. its focus on maximizing shareholder value and, and focus instead on producing innovative and affordable drugs. I, I thought we could quickly walk through them and, and have you explain what sure. they would do. Uh, the first is a ban on pharmaceutical companies from making stock repurchases. Yeah, so every company should be banned from doing the type of stock repurchases they're doing which are uh, draining trillions of dollars over the like, last, last decade even out of, out, of, out of companies. So it's what I call the legalized looting of the business corporation that's going on through these things. Stock buybacks, they have no purpose whatsoever except to uh, manipulate the company's stock prices. Uh, they are allowed to do it because under the radar back in November of 1982, after Ronald Reagan got elected and the Exchange Commission was supposed to regulate the stock market, got captured by free market economists, 
they uh this rule called MDAT. It says basically that companies can do massive amounts of stock purchase of them any one day, day after day after day, and they won't be charged with manipulating the market. But the fact is, they are manipulating the market. And it's been going on now for decades. I argue that it's one of the prime reasons for concentration of income at the top of the income distribution, which everybody's noticed. It's one of the top reasons, not just in drug industry, but generally for the loss of middle class jobs. Uh, and so it's, it's the major problem to do with business uh, uh, in, in, in the economy, and business is our economy. So uh, what we need to do is examine them. And it's not really easy to do. It wouldn't be difficult to do that because uh, this rule from the 18 is never even vetted by Congress. Uh, it's simply a, a rule that is passed that the whole business community went along with, and the most economists that have no perspective of. Uh, and so it needs to be familiar. It doesn't mean that it's your eye or shares, uh, in a company that we don't get any, a year ago, they said, you can get dividends. The dividends are very different than buybacks, because if I'm holding the shares, uh, and the company pays me some dividends, I also want the company to reinvest so that later on, when I might start to sell the share, the company will have some products that are generating profits that are likely to make that share worth something. Uh, when you do buyback, the people who gain are the people who sell the shares, and actually the people who know when to sell the shares. Uh, and that's why I tell managers love buyback, of executives with a doctor's pay, who knows when the buybacks are being done. They love buyback, the uh, investment banks that are, that are doing the deals and doing the deals with them, they love buyback. So most of us, uh, uh, get nothing out of it, we lose. So they should be banned. That's the first thing, and it's not just pharmaceuticals, but it's particularly egregious. You also call for restructuring executive compensation. Yeah, so so the notion that the performance of a company is reflected in stock price nonsense. Stock prices are, in any case, even without things like stock buybacks or price gouging, uh, stock prices are being uh, are subject to tremendous speculation. Speculation. Uh, 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 the stock market is it's not by and large a gambling casino. Even when the, you have good companies, and even the best companies, which people still generally will call a blue chip stock, and the blue chip is the, uh, the valuable chip in a gambling casino. That's where that comes from. Nobody knows what the stock price of any company is going to be in an hour, two hours, a week, two weeks. It's just a gamble. Okay, now, uh, there are good companies uh, that uh, uh, can. Uh, pay uh, dividends over time, they can have uh, higher stock price over time, that they're really innovative, that's what we want. But a lot of the stock market is populated by people who are speculative. In addition, we now have the stock prices being driven systemically by manipulation. Uh, so we cannot look at a stock price and say that reflects the performance of the company. So how do we look at a company and say what is, how is it performance? We look at the product distribution. Whether it's producing high value products, whether it's getting them out to people at prices that are able willing to pay, get a large market share, whether it's in the process of doing that, it's paying its workers good wages, it's giving them job security, it's giving them good benefits. And guess what? Companies can do that. Innovative companies we know historically, we can look at even the present time companies, companies that are doing that now, uh, they can do that. Most American companies are not doing that because of the ideology of shareholder values. So that part and parcel of that ideology is rewarding executives 
uh, almost entirely in terms of dockside performance in one way or another. Uh, we should be rewarding top executives in terms of the real performance of the company. Uh, delivering the products, delivering the jobs, uh, the learning that goes on in the companies, the job security, the higher wages that people have. Uh, when, we, when we look at wages at a macroeconomic level, and we look at people's wages rise, we say, oh, great. Uh, the, the, the economy is more prosperous. People are getting higher wages. We look at the company level, we say, oh, that's a higher cost, but that's not the way to look at it. Uh, when we get higher wages in the economy, it's because innovative companies are generating the productivity through the way their workers are working and developing the products that are justifying those higher wages. And that's what we need. Shareholder value undermines all that. I've written lots of papers that show how that's the case and why that's the case. Um, and so when we look at who's making the key uh, decisions about how to allocate resources at the top executive group, we have to incentivize them in terms of a different set of metrics. Metrics that have to do with innovation, not that metrics that have to do with this financial game. What I mean by bringing in executive pay, changing the way we report the debt. You'd also like to see the uh, makeup of boards change. How so? Well, okay, so uh, the, uh, the board, uh, you know, I'm a taxpayer, uh, certainly in the pharmaceutical industry. The taxpayer pays a big role in funding that industry. Uh, as I calculated that in current dollars, uh, the NIH, since they started recording costs in uh, 1938, it's basically a trillion dollars that's been provided to, to that industry. There would not be a pharmaceutical industry without the NIH, National Institute of Health. Uh, I want that return. Uh, I want when the company is successful. Okay, how do I protect that? Well, in part through the general tax structure, but we know what's happened to that. Companies say we need lower taxes in order to be competitive, and then what do they do? They judge the public and, and pump up the stock prices. So I want someone representing me on the board of those companies as a taxpayer. Uh, if I'm a worker for a company, and I am something like drug development, which can take uh, 10 years, 20 years, I'm working on uh, some piece of the science, uh, I'm going into work every day. Yeah, I'm getting paid uh, 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 my salary, my wages now. Uh, but none of us need just a salary now. We need some you know, return in the future. And when I go into work, if I'm just working for what I produce today, then there's not going to be any drugs tomorrow. Uh, so when I work, what we want people to do is work for the investment developing in the future. So my effort or their effort is being invested in that company. And the return comes from a career, from, from, from being kept at that company, from actually when the company is successful in getting some of those data. So I want people representing me if I'm a worker on my And those workers and taxpayer representatives are protecting far more important interests than the shareholders represented in business, representing people who buy and share shares. So the actual equity investors, they long from these companies. Um, I'm not saying that people who put money into a company and make a real investment that can only get a return if the company can develop a new drug or, or whatever the product is, then you have people on the board. But those are the people who should be on the board, not uh, hedge fund managers who come and buy the drug, try to get the drug, uh, the, buy the shares, try to get the prices up, sell the shares, and then they dominate who's on the board of directors because they make things work. Um, so uh, now that requires a whole different 
conception of the corporation than you have in the United States. It's not one that is does not exist other places in the world. Germany has uh, any company over 500 people has uh, worker representatives on board. There's lots of places in the world where you have public interest uh, uh, people on boards of companies because it's recognized that those companies have to act in the public interest. Uh, but that's run by the board, you know, literally. I mean, it's just become, this is something that, that with the rise of shareholder value, uh, uh, that there's not the only people who need to be on board of representative shareholders. I disagree with that. Let me ask you about one last recommendation. You, you called for regulating drug prices that have benefited from government funding. Do you, do you mean that to include all drugs or only drugs that have specifically gotten direct funding through the government? Yeah, well, we're doing research and we've got the people that are doing research on the whole kind of value chain of developing these drugs. Uh, and virtually all of them have uh, some kind of government uh, Involvement in spending. Uh, either uh, specifically in the United States, in the National Institute of Health, uh, to, uh, um, civil society organizations like universities that are, uh, uh, funding a lot of the development of the tuition that are the students are paying often, uh, could be funding development. Uh, uh, so, uh, it, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a way uh, particularly at the early stages, drugs get the, uh, developed in the United States. Uh, and uh, then we give them patent protection. Uh, there's all kinds of subsidies under uh, most of the early blockbuster drugs in biotech in the 80s and 90s were orphan drugs. And uh, since 1983, there's been all kinds of subsidies and protections in addition to patents under the Orphan Drug Act of 1983. Uh, uh, at, if you go down to, uh, live in the Boston area, uh, Massachusetts and even localities in Massachusetts have all kinds of subsidies. They get biotech companies to start up and locate there. And we need to get the return. And, uh, uh, we need people on the boards to make sure that when, uh, that the companies are investing in a way that we're going to get the return and that when the return is there, that it goes to the people who actually made the investment, which is generally, again, not the shareholders. How do you see this paper informing policy moving forward, and, and do you expect it to have any traction anywhere? Uh, maybe. <laughs> uh, the uh, I think I think in the part that has traction, it's also it's in part because it's seen as a, uh, uh, a a bigger problem, and so I've been writing on this uh, stuff for twenty five thirty years. Uh, the, the, the amount of research we're doing on this has been wrapped up because I uh, have a, an organization called the Academic Industry Research Network, a 501c3 organization, which now I have a number of people I've trained who are working with me, and we can, uh, with, with help from, we get a lot of my, uh, funding uh, from various uh, foundations, one is the Institute of Economic Thinking, which put this on its website, and uh, the paper that we wrote, and uh, uh, we can generate you know, the research. Now, uh, you, you need to get people to pay attention to the research. And, uh, almost exactly three years ago, I had an article in Harvard Business Review, uh, called Profits Without Prosperity, Stock Buybacks Manipulate the Market and Leave Most Americans Worse Off. And it doesn't exactly sound like the uh, title of an article, uh, that you would find in Harvard Business Review. Uh, but Harvard Business Review published it, 
Uh, it actually got the prize for best article of the year in Harvard Business Review, and it greatly increased uh, the uh, uh, awareness of the problem among uh, the general public or informed public, you might say, and also among certain politicians. Uh, so uh, uh, Joe Biden has cited uh, that article many times. Uh, Elizabeth Warren, Hillary Clinton did at one point in her campaign. Uh, Tammy Baldwin, Senator from Wisconsin, uh, has been very concerned with this issue and has uh, uh, written letters uh, when Obama was in, in office to the uh, head of the SEC about this, asking why buybacks are being done. So there is a discussion that's going on. And uh, it's on that particular issue, but of course we know there's also a big discussion that's going on in the United States, not just about drug prices, but about uh, what's happened to the middle class, <laughs> uh, why there's been downward mobility, uh, why uh, we haven't had an investment in the labor force that can keep them highly productive. And I think this is a big part of it, and I've written lots of things which make the argument about why uh, running the companies in this way and, and to maximize shareholder value uh, creates these outcomes, concentration of income, top loss of the class job, and how they're integrally related. So as some people are becoming aware of this and aware of the consequences of this, not just that we have a lot of poor people in the country, we have a lot of people on opioids, we have a lot of people uh, who can't uh, lead productive lives, but that it has, as we all know, uh, or at least seems to be the case, uh, drastic uh, political consequences, people are, are kind of wising up to this stuff, and they're saying, hey, something's going on. That having been said, you do need to give people good research that shows, shows you know, draws the logical link and gives them the facts they need, so that's what we're trying to do. And we're not the only ones doing it, uh, but the more people who can do this, the better. The more it can get funded to do the research of the ball the sky, the better. Uh, so, uh, I think we're having some impact, but obviously it feels like that much bigger impact than we're Bill Lozanek, professor of economics at the University of Massachusetts Lowell and lead author of the working paper from the Institute for New Economic Thinking, U.S. Pharma Financialized Business Model. Bill, thanks so much for your time today. Okay, thanks. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.